everybody. Uh, my name is Indu Manny. I am a veterinarian and the chief uh, scientific officer of Brief Media. And it is my distinct pleasure to, ha to have a conversation today with Dr. Ruby Perry, who is the dean at Tuskegee University. This has been something we've been wanting to do for a good long time. And uh, Dr. Perry and I had spoken on the phone a few years ago. We talked about doing this and with the pandemic and all of the craziness in our lives, it took a while to get it to happen. But um, I'm so so happy to be here today to talk to to talk to Dr. Perry. Um, I think she has uniquely married veterinary medicine, veterinary practice, um, academia, with civil rights and advocacy. She is an inspiration to thousands and thousands of us, and um, we do stand on her shoulders. I stand on her shoulders. Um, as well. And so I'm so excited to to speak with Dr. Perry today. Um, I have so many questions for you, Dr. Perry, but the first is, when did you know you wanted to be a veterinarian? Uh, and good morning, everyone. And thank you, Dr. Manny, for being patient uh, with mm -hmm. us and my, my schedule. It's a delight to share uh, my story. And the same as the audience, uh, should be willing to share their stories as as well. Sometimes we think that our stories are not as monumental as others, but in every story there is a silver lining, as they say, and there are some good and some nuggets for somebody to uh, to use. So I want to thank you for for that. So when did I want it to be a veterinarian? Well. <clears throat> I, when I had to work my way through uh, college, I was uh, fortunate to find a job with a veterinarian as a kennel worker, uh, cleaning cages. And sometimes we have to start at the bottom to work our way up. So this veterinarian that I worked for, his name was Dr. Roland Powell, who is now deceased. But he became a mentor to me and changed my journey from wanting to be a mathematician, because I love numbers, uh, to becoming a veterinarian. So I immediately changed my major from mathematics to biology to pursue a career in veterinary medicine. So this gives me an opportunity here, Dr. Manning, to emphasize the importance of awareness and introduction of our veterinary profession early in the lives of children. So here, for me, I was not aware of such a wonderful career until I was in college. So we talk about why, you know, the veterinary profession is not as diverse as it should be. It's because we we need to do more in that space and letting these, even in uh, some, some people are saying kindergarten either, even. So during that time uh, where, where these young minds can pursue a career in veterinary medicine, so working with Dr. Powell, I worked my way up to become a veterinary assistant, and I automatically developed a love for caring and helping pets. Uh, since they could not communicate verbally, they were so loving as companions to the owners that brought them into the veterinary clinic or into the veterinary hospital. So I was so intrigued uh, when the veterinarian asked the questions to the owners and seeing how he would come up with uh, possibilities or diagnosis on how to treat that patient. It was, it was just amazing to watch. Uh, 
and amazing to see how the pets would respond to the treatment and how they were just happy when they left with their loving owners. However, now that's the good side of the profession that we all know, but we, but I also saw the not so good parts of the veterinary healthcare when pets were suffering or there was no answer to the illness or they, they didn't respond well to the treatment or it was just too late for the treatment to even take effect. So animal suffering and seeing owners lose a loved pet family member are, are just, those are the not so good parts of our profession. So however, that is a part of our fiber as veterinarians and veterinary healthcare professionals for loving the profession that we were called to belong and make it better. So nice. that's a little bit in a nutshell of uh, how, I, how I became interested in veterinary medicine. It didn't start that way, but that's how we ended. And I don't, I don't regret any parts of my, my journey. It's so funny that you say that because um, I also cleaned lots of uh, <laughs> lots of cages um, early on in my profession. I think we all enter the profession doing that. And for me, being the daughter of Indian immigrants, you know, I I was conditioned that I should be a physician, a pediatrician, you know. Yeah. But but um, the call. I mean, you speak so poetically about it, Doctor Perry. But it's true that the call of caring for those who are voiceless and helpless animals and kind of the nobility in it was really a, a significant one. And, and you also, when you talk about the, the difficult side of veterinary medicine, it's something I'm looking at a lot with the moral distress that we all suffer as veterinarians, yes. you know, when we see we can't help animals maybe the way that, that we wanted to. Um, I think, what was so, when you and I spoke before, is that huge transition when you went to Lansing, halfway across the country, completely different world, to train as a radiologist, a veterinary radiologist. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think the audience, a lot of us, when we go through advanced training, go through that sort of transition, which was so significant for you and maybe significant for a lot of folks who are listening. So, yes, being from the South and participating in civil rights with desegregation, uh, when I went to Michigan State as part of my uh, journey to be a radiologist, um, the greatest adjustment that I had uh, in Michigan in the Midwest uh, was the culture. And that is significant as we move from one environment to the other. Uh, it's, you got you to gotta know the culture. So I, I was entering, uh, during my residency, um, I was entering into an academic world that didn't feel like the world that I knew or, or I, I was part of. And it was just not the racial component of it because I was the only one in my area, uh, but I knew I had to make a major adjustment. So how do you find those who really wanted me uh, to be successful? So I had to try to figure that out because a lot of people who say they want you to be successful, really, they don't. But I, I, I had to search 
And it was like an adventure. But what I realized was my teachings and training uh, when I was engaged in desegregation uh, by civil rights leaders who taught me how uh, to survive, taught us those survival skills in environments of hatred and overt racism. Uh, at that time, I didn't understand that. I, I said, well, why, why me? Why? I don't want to uh, make a difference with all of that. I just want to be status quo. Uh, but when I went there, I had to pull on those, uh, those experiences. And yet I had to demonstrate the courage to achieve in that environment because I knew I had to finish that residency and I knew I had to get boarded. So in spite of those profound challenges and obstacles, I also had to to, uh, be engaged in the microaggressions and macroaggressions. At that time, I didn't know what they were. They they felt like some of the same experiences I had during the desegregation. Uh, So I heavily used my training and previous experiences to not only survive, but thrive because that was key. You, you, you have to, when you go, you, you, and you don't see it as a failure. You see it as making sure that you are successful and you get through by using, pulling on all of those uh, experiences that you've had in the past. But without those champions and advocates within the college at MSU to guide and support me, it would have been extremely difficult to finish that course during my residency. And then I'd return as a faculty member and then successful navigation through the promotion and tenure process. So my next point I want to emphasize is that there are mentors, advocates, champions, wherever we go, wherever we land, they are there. You've got to find a way to search them out. And sometimes they search us out. Mm -hmm. And so So take advantage of those uh, opportunities. Something you told me when we spoke, um, I remember you said we were talking about discomfort. Um, You and I are both women of color in the veterinary profession, often a unique um, person in a room. And I had shared with you that sometimes, you know, I felt uncomfortable or underestimated in a room of people, didn't didn't assume that maybe we were as credentialed as we are, um, had contributed the way we were. And something you said to me that really stuck with me is you said, sometimes you have to feel uncomfortable and you may want to run away. You may want to go back to a more comfortable location, but sometimes you've got to sit in that discomfort because it's your duty. And that was really I've actually used that, you know, even whether I'm in the clinic or I'm talking, because I don't want to feel uncomfortable, Dr. Perry. It's hard to feel uncomfortable after we've done as much as we've done. But you said to me, it's my duty to feel uncomfortable because, and I think we'd spoken about the, the late and great John Lewis and the things that he had done feeling physically and emotionally uncomfortable. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about discomfort and what, where that can propel you, because that really impacted me when we'd spoken before. Well, you know, just like uh, change, it's, it's 
you know, life is not static. And so it's dynamic, there's change. And so when you're entering that world or whatever, whatever, wherever you're entering, it's going to feel uncomfortable. When I moving from one position to another, you know, I I see people, uh, I hear people say, well, I've never done this before. Well, it's like one of those, yeah, because if you had done it before, it wouldn't be a, you shouldn't be asking that question. (laughs) So every time you enter, it's interesting, but every time you enter a new, when you get promoted and people say, you know what, you can, uh, you can do this. It feels uncomfortable, but you're there for a purpose. You're there for a reason because it's amazing what you can do to help others uh, because you've been blessed and fortunate to be in that to be in that uh, uh, that role, that responsibility. The first, the first so uncomfortable person. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know. I when I became dean, I could have said, "Gosh, I don't want that position because I've never done that before." Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, how am I going to learn it if I don't get in it? So yeah, you got to be, uh, and then you find that it's really not as uncomfortable as you thought. It's just what we perceive. We don't know until you get in there and then you find, oh my gosh, this is not so bad. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy because life is not easy, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's where you find people who, your supporters, as I said, you know, I can't emphasize enough uh, mentors, advocates, champions, they're there. Uh, it, you just got to be willing to search, search them out. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's anytime you try to make a difference or, or uh, be a voice for others who don't have the voices of change or impactful, it's a, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. And, you know, you make it, uh, as I say also, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you, is that, you have you try to have fun along the way. You, it, it's it's just it's so rewarding to make a difference in somebody's life. Uh, it, it's but you know the this journey is of change. Some it's not for everybody, but you can make a little bit along the way. There are some people who are more courageous than others, and those people who want to step back they need to just step out there and try it and if it's not for you make a difference someplace else because we all are here for a purpose and a reason so it's it's and i can't i can't feel the step the footsteps of those people who who just like um desegregation our civil rights leaders those people were very encouraged to make a difference for just not african-americans but all people yeah. All people, regardless of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, etc., they made a difference for people. And yeah. so, yeah, feel uncomfortable. It's okay. Feel uncomfortable. And I mean, I feel like when people hear you say that, it will give them courage to feel uncomfortable now, even now, even at this stage where we talk more openly about these conversations and try to make the profession a little bit more inclusive. I, I I guess I'm curious too, Dr. Perry, do you feel like you're seeing a profession that is becoming broader and more diverse, more rich tapestry? You know, when you and I, I mean, I know when I started, I was the only 
Indian American in my, in my class, you know, in F2 at Colorado State. And I think now people take it for granted, you know, that their classes are more colorful, but it didn't feel that way for a long time. Do you feel a change in the profession? Oh, abs- oh absolutely. Um, if I look at when, when I started veterinary school, there were, there were six women in my class. Yeah. And now it's switched from what about 80, 20 percent. Yeah. All women now. Yeah. Or well, it's about 80, 20, I think it's, uh, but that's, that data might not be correct, but it's of course the majority of women. Uh, I want to emphasize here also, um, that because women play a significant role in leadership in the veterinary profession, I just want us to not forget to elevate women also, that we don't forget about, because we have to find a way for women to get into some of these leadership roles so we can be a voice for them uh, as well. You know, as I'm thankful for being co-chair of the AVMA, AVMC, uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Commission with my colleague, Dr. Christine Jenkins. And so we we led that commission, and now the AVMA, you know, has a, a chief diversity officer. That is one major uh, accomplishment for the profession to help those who need to understand the importance of having a diverse profession. We serve a diverse world. That's true. And and because of that, we we need to have a better understanding. We understand it as people of color, but, but there are people who really don't, not only do they not understand, they don't want to understand, but we have to be in their face to say, yes, this, you can hear it or not, but they need to understand that we are as strong as the constituents in our veterinary profession. And so we want that. So to be able to be better uh, servants of the veterinary profession for those who seek in veterinary care. Uh, you don't want to turn down those who are less fortunate or those who are underprivileged. Uh, and that's regardless of, of their ethnicity again. So, Yes. Are we making strides? Yes. I, I was just talking to Lisa, Dr. Lisa Greenhill about some data and it, it's the needle is moving, but it has been intentional. It's not one of those. Oh, well, somebody that's for somebody else to do. No, we're, we're making some strides to not being labeled as the least diverse healthcare profession of them all. Who, exactly. who wants to be belong to a, our, our profession? Maybe. We love our profession. Exactly. And we want to be able to uh, not just be role models in it, but we want to tell others that this is the best profession there is. Uh, and so, and, and, and to say that you want to be, well, here is somebody who is, who looks like me or a, uh, an advocate of the profession that you can talk to about it, about being being um, a veterinarian. And so you, yes, I mean, that we're, we're so, but we can't stop. 
We got to continue to be that gatekeeper. We can't stop. Exactly. And you infuse, I mean, you infuse it with such joy. You make it, when you talk about it, I mean, there's so much joy that we, we entered this profession sort of, you know, held up by joy, excitement about what we're going to do with animals. And I think we lose it a little bit. And I think when you talk about it here, you, you infuse it with so much of that excitement and joy. I think one way, one reason you, there's so many things you said there, Dr. Perry, that I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we have to discuss all of them. But one thing that you discussed um, is about us being women. And I think I have to say, I ha- I think for our profession, I have to bring up the fact that so many of us are women and mothers. And you are the mother of three children. I am a mother of two children. And I'll tell you, there's been nothing more difficult than being a veterinarian and trying to be a good mother at the same time. Trying to deal with childcare, trying to get to work, trying to have work-life balance, trying to keep our marriages together, (laughs) everything, you know? And uh, I've been married for 20 years. I think you said you've been married for 40, right? Well, it's 44. 44. And actually, I've been married for 23. I hope my husband didn't hear me say it for 20 <laughs> years. But but it's really, really tough. And and that's what I hear the most from my friends and colleagues. And so I would love your reflections on marriage, staying married, and motherhood. Motherhood. How the heck are you able to be a mother, good mother, while being a good veterinarian? Now that one, I don't have the the, the solution. To that. <laughs> I asked you, you a know, really that, tough question. That one is is that's tough. Yeah. So I, I'm going to start with um, finding your su- support circle. Yeah. Um. I, re- I remember when I was at Michigan State, there was uh, one of my students. She had three children. She had all of her children while she was in veterinary school. Oh, my gosh. But she had an extremely supportive spouse. Now, there are, and, and my spouse is, is a veterinarian, and he's supportive as well. And so we realized that we had to be supportive of each other because he was a professional as well. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity for me to share with women that if I'm not saying, well, I'm 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 not I'm gonna I'm gonna I have I have to be careful here, Doctor. Yes, yes. No, I I hear you. I'm hanging on your every word right now. Let me just say that women, professional women we find it difficult to achieve our careers much more than men because we are women. We take care of the the children, the household, et cetera. There's just so much on our shoulders to be successful. That's why I said what I said, that women need to be supportive, more supportive of each other because we share those same struggles and challenges. Yeah. But number one, when I say your support group, you can start with your spouse. Exactly. Yeah, your, yep. your spouse has to understand what, as a woman, what you're trying to achieve and be supportive of that. 
And and so you work together as a team. So my husband and I would work together as a team, even when raising those children. And yeah. all of my children are grown, they're adults and they have children. But we had to we had to pass that baton. Uh, oh, if yeah. he didn't say, well, that's your job. Well, my mother and I bring in my mother here because that's when she said, you deserve the right to be successful and you cannot it. allow others to hold you back, including a spouse. And so that yeah. I, that's what I was try, I was going to say in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but it's true. You're so true. You're right. My husband changed. When I went to work, he changed diapers. He, he, you know, fed babies with bottles and he, he took kids to things I did too. But, you know, I, I've had a tough time relinquishing and not feeling guilty of doing all of that, which is, which is crazy. Right. I just, I don't know. I come from in India, we have a big extended family, you know, and we don't have that here. My mom, came and stayed with me with both babies. My parents have always been very involved, but you're so right. You need that village. And sometimes I wonder in this country, if we've done right by being so isolated with our families, you know, not being able to rely on that village around us to, to help women achieve their success. And like you said, you have the right to success as a woman, as a woman, you know, so and, and my mother also, Dr. Manning, and I'm glad that you brought that up, is uh, she she said to me, she said, be careful about trying to be everything as mm-hmm. uh, as a mother and a wife. Some things you got to delegate, yeah. <laughs> you got to delegate yeah. to your spouse and yeah. you need to delegate to your children. That's right. And That's so right. are you going or, or she said you're going to end up starting and then not finishing. Exactly. And she was right. I I I heard those words. Um, so you you for for women, we have to make sure that we get the support. We deserve it. You make we sure you get it. the support that yeah. we need to be successful. And there, yeah. like you said, the village. I call it a support team. That they are there. Those those teams. Those people are there to help us to be uh, successful. And yeah. I, I you know again, I can't emphasize it enough as women, that we need to do a better job with supporting each other for, yeah. for, for us, each one of us to be successful and achieve our, our career goal. And we don't always have to be like, we don't always have to achieve perfection. Sometimes we can be the world's okayest mom and that's it's okay. That's okay. And that's okay. You know, I, I say it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's yes. okay to lean on. Yeah, it's so true. Um, your mom, did your mom, did your mom work outside the home too? She seems so, she seems so incredibly wise with, with things, you know, that maybe she didn't have an opportunity to do in during her time. You know, I think of my grandmother who was the same way raising five boys and said many of the same things to me as her first granddaughter, you know? My, yeah, I, I I agree. I'm very thankful for the words of wisdom that my mother shared uh, with me. She be, she believed in family. Yeah, uh, that was is key to have that foundation uh, to have a loving family. And my husband is the same uh, way in terms of family. 
uh, virtues and morals and doing the right thing. So that was a foundation in our uh, family. So yes, she, I, I do, she's still uh, with us and I, I do, and I still appreciate those uh, words of wisdom that she continuously share with me. And, and so yeah, I'm thankful, she must be, but she didn't she hold not, she didn't hold any of us back. And yeah. she, she only reached the eighth, eighth grade, but she wanted oh, the children God. to, uh, to be more than she could ever achieve. Yeah. And, and that was for all, and it's five of us. So two boys and three girls. Mm-hmm. So we all had an opportunity to achieve. Yes. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. She has to see you and just, she must be completely blown away by what she sees with you at Tuskegee. And, and D- Dean Perry, can you tell me a little bit about what you see with the students? Because that always excites me because the students are, you know, students are the next generation when we're, when we're retired and, and, and relaxing, these students are the ones that are going to be propelling the profession. And, you know, you must see the changes that are imminent in the student body of what you see. And when they come and discuss the profession with you, what do you see the profession changing into based on what this, the students that you're seeing right now? So we're, we are faced with a, a, a different generation of of professionals that will be leading the profession. Mm-hmm. And if you look at st- students now, uh, I, I think that we are, I believe, I truly believe that we are in good hands with this mm-hmm. new de- generation of students. It's almost like our children when we say, oh my gosh, I, I, I do hope that you turn out to be something better than what I think you're going to be now as we go through with our children and the challenges. And then they, they turn out to be okay. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I am so proud of my three children, but I didn't feel that way when they were growing up. Yeah. So the, yeah. the correlation with that is I think about that and I say, you know what they, for me, from being a baby boomer, and what I was trained is that you just, you, you, you work the work. They have work ethic as well. It's just mm-hmm. different than yeah. ours. And so th- many of them don't want to work these long hours like we do because they, they have, there's a better way. Yeah. Uh, they don't want to be suffering from compassion fatigue. They don't want to be suffering yeah. from all of the, uh, the, the things that we are confronted with, there's a better way of doing it. So why not listen uh, yeah. to them? I actually, I have a student leadership uh, council and I asked the students about their perspective and their opinion because the way, sometimes the way that I want to do it is traditional mm-hmm. and they might think of a way that is creative, innovative, but you achieve the same outcome. So I, I, it's, it's, it's enthusiastic. It is inspirational to just hear them talk about their love for the veterinary profession. That's they're in it for the same reason that we're in it. They just have a different way of, of uh, doing things. And I think that we as veterinarians should listen more Mm -hmm. to what they have to say. And, um, 
not just listen, but really in, intentionally listen, not just hearing it or, okay, I heard you, but really intentionally listening to what they have to offer to make this veterinary profession a better, a much better uh, profession than where we have come. So I kudos to them. Yeah, so they're gonna be leading because they are going they are to be leading. leading. <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll be watching them do it. You know, and I, and what you're saying is, I hear you saying it will be a healthier profession that can actually will not, you know, burn itself out completely and then not effectively work. Which makes me think about, you know, we both we both read a lot about veterinary suicide. Do you have any thoughts about that, Dr. Perry, on why you think? We are so vulnerable to that. Um, some of the CDC data on some mm-hmm. of the, the studies a couple of years ago talking about that amongst healthcare professionals, we are, we are prone to that. And I know, I know, I have several colleagues, we should not have that, you know, that have committed suicide. And I, I know you do too. And it's horrifically sad, you know. And and the yeah the suicide rate uh, of course is high also in the other medical professions, mm-hmm. uh, but it is high in veterinary medicine. It's I don't I I don't have the the answer to that, and and we we struggle as healthcare professionals and educators uh, to find the answer. We need more resources. Uh, to help students and our colleagues to 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 pursue or seek, so that when you're not okay, it's okay to say you're not okay. Uh, but we we're, we're in a society where, you know, perfection is is pushed so yeah. much that you're not good enough. You're not good enough until you get all of these medals. You're not good enough until you get all of these degrees. Uh, you're not good enough until you save every single animal. It starts. It starts early, not just when they get to college. It starts early because some of these signs we see in high school, elementary school, even down to middle school. So health and wellness is just key. Uh, even with the what's going on in the world, the mental health crisis, oh, yeah. uh, the, the people need help with uh with how the, not just emotions but what they're feeling when you when you're having panic attacks or when you're having uh, uh these mental challenges where you 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 feel hopeless i i don't know how that triggers but i'm sure it triggers some type of response but at some point we all have this uh this sense of not being healthy uh, even now, being um, the the the, and I I was telling my colleague I was going to say I'm I'm overwhelmed, but when we are overwhelmed with with um, with uh, a list of things that we got to get done, and you just see that you're not getting them done quick enough, yep. so all of those challenges are just you're just impacted by that. I, I would like to have. Uh, someone where you can go and talk to in confidence, where you trust, confidentiality, where yeah. you can talk uh, to one, someone, and they can help you out of that. 
But you got to seek that first. You got to have those yeah. people who you can find. Again, we talk about those resources yeah. Uh, yeah. that's available. It's just not enough of them. I, I think yeah. it's, it, we, we need to have m- more. It, sometimes you, if, you're, if you're suffering from depression, you don't feel like going to a website no. and find what's out there that's going to help you. You want to be able to put your hands on something right away or better still, how about somebody who recognizes mm-hmm. that something is wrong and go, yeah. oh, I see something that's that's wrong today. Let's have a chat. But though, yeah. if you see it, many of us don't know how to handle that. So we yeah. need the training, the resources and the training ourselves to be not be to not only help, but to recognize yeah. so that and we to- can have a healthy, um, a more healthy veterinary profession. Yes. Yeah, it, you, everything you said is so true. We should have it there where you don't have to seek it too. And mm. I think what I'm going to take from our conversation too is that it's okay to not be okay. I think we are so self-critical and also think we can overcome things like you have so many people who I think mental health is so is so stigmatized in our yeah. society anyway, right? Like so so if you seek help from a therapist or medications you're stigmatizing yourself or your stick and we have to destigmatize that in the veterinary profession. Right. We have to say it's totally okay to do that. Your your mental health is a is a part of your body that might go a little wrong just like anything else can. Don't make it a stigma and I I just I love that. I'm going to go around telling everybody it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> I'm going to continue to say that, including myself, you know, okay. it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to seek help. So it's just so amazing. Dr. Perry, thank you so much. It was an incredible conversation. Um, you are just, you're, gosh, you're such an inspiration. I feel, I feel like I want to tell you all the things that I've struggled with so that we can, because you just, you just make it, you make it okay to not be okay and to still be an amazing person. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And um, to look at you and know that you have struggled with these yeah. senses and feelings and you are still, you know, this incredible leader for all of us is, is, is just such an extraordinary thing. And thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us today and, you're one of my idols, you know, both of us women of color in this profession that thank God is becoming more colorful and diverse. Um, but I just, I thank you so much. I wish we weren't over Zoom so I could give you a huge hug, but <laughs> we'll see each other at some point soon. At, at some point, uh, Dr. Manny, and thank you uh, for being a role model to others as well. And you stay, you stay strong and courageous on that journey as well. And people are looking at you uh, and what you do, and they're taking those those nuggets of wisdom. Oh. So continue to do the same. And we're supporters of each other. Yes. Uh, so it was Absolutely. a joy to, to meet you. And I'm so glad that we, we had this conversation. You can yes. call on me at any time. I'm going to. I have your I have your cell phone. Don't forget. I'll be texting you. <laughs> That's quite all right. I'm a taxi person. Yes. Big hug, Dr. Perry, and uh, thank you for being with us today. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
If you enjoyed our episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including a video version now available on YouTube. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us. You can also listen to or watch our podcast episodes on our website at cliniciansbrief.com slash podcasts, or drop us a line at podcasts at briefmedia.com. Clinicians Brief the Podcast is a brief media production produced by Alexis Ussery and hosted by Dr. Alyssa Watson.